Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. All right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. Good to be with you this morning. If I've not had the opportunity uh, to meet you, my name is Landon, and I'm thankful to be one of the the team members here and to get to be a part of Restoration. As Andrew said, we are going to dive back into uh, the book of 1 John as we continue our series through this letter, and I'll begin our time this morning just just reading the passage beginning in chapter 2, verse 3. John says this. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Uh, I shared some time ago about uh, a date night my wife and I got to, to go on. And we went to dinner, and then we were going to this theater production here in town that one of my, my friends was in. And so after dinner, we went to uh, the, the theater, and it was kind of confusing. It was this cool, small, intimate theater, but you had to enter from the alley, like in this back door. And uh, that was a little bit challenging to figure out, but we, we got in and walked into the lobby, and nobody was there. And normally I'm late for things, but for this theater production, I figured it would be good to be right on time. So we got there right on time, and I couldn't figure out where to walk in. How did we get into the auditorium? And there was one door that I was like, this has to be it. And we had to kind of hurry to make it in on time. So I grabbed the door, and I open it, and it is pitch black. And I was like, perfect. We're just going to sneak right in. Nothing has started yet. This is excellent. It's dead silent, so I just slowly open the door, and I look in, and I'm like, Charles, come on, because I'm, I'm almost always confident. Sometimes that's good. Oftentimes, that's not good, but I opened this door confidently, and I took a big, confident step, and there was nothing to step on, but I was committed in my confidence, and so I just rolled. There was apparently stairs there that I was not aware of. And in the pitch black darkness with this total silence, all of, a, all of a sudden, it sounded like the orchestra at the theater began to play. But there was no orchestra at this theater. It was just the sound of the mop bucket that I hid in apparently the janitor's closet. And then the mop like banging on every metal shelf and cleaning solution flying all over. And I just laid there for a few moments humbly. 
at the, the bottom of this custodial closet. Who puts a custodial closet there? I, I don't know. That makes no sense. Finally, I got like my phone out and I turned the light on and I walked up the stairs. And uh, this has been the theme of this month for some reason, I guess because we're talking a lot about darkness and light. I've never seen my wife smile so <laughs> widely. She could not have been happier. It was a very successful date night because of that, that fall. <laughs> and it was loud in the midst of, of that silence. There's this, this theme not like one or two or three times, but on and on and on again and again in the midst of this letter of First John about walking in light versus walking in darkness. And it's a pretty simple concept. If you walk in light, your path is clear and you're going to have a successful journey. It may not be easy, but you know where you're going. You will not stumble, as John said. Yet if you walk in the darkness, eventually you will stumble, eventually you will fall, and eventually it will be painful. Stepping in the darkness is a bad idea. Walking in an ongoing fashion is a much worse idea. And the question that we kind of need to be posed with, because that's an obvious thing, is do we take John seriously for his words here about walking in light versus walking in darkness when it comes to our spirituality? Maybe it's, it's simple for most of you normal people to not walk into dark closets in the middle, middle of theater productions, but like when you go through life, do we take John seriously? Are you aware of whether you're walking in light or walking in darkness? <clears throat> because the reality is that in this room, there's, there's probably many people who are stumbling in the darkness. And maybe you've got lucky so far, and it's not been too painful, but that can only last so long. And we, we talked about it last week, that our sin causes pain, and we'd like to think that it's going to be isolated to ourselves, but that is never the case with sin. Sin grows, sin multiplies, and sin always will reach out to harm others. And so our sin is selfish beyond the obvious because it's going to impact not only people we love, but any people that were around. <clears throat> There's also very probably some people in this room that claim to know Jesus, to be walking with Christ, who simply don't know Jesus. Perhaps thinking you do because you grew up in a, a Christian home, maybe, or because you do some good things, or you've given charitably at, at different points, or you've done different service projects, or maybe you know a lot of the scriptures and know a lot about God, or perhaps you spend a lot of time in a, a church building, or you've done a lot of Bible studies. But what we see here in this passage is that it's unfortunately, terrifyingly easy to think we know Jesus and to think that we are walking in the steps of Christ, but we actually aren't. And so John poses this test. Let me read it again. It's, it's pretty simple in verse 3. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet does not keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he did. Jesus changes people. 
And so if there isn't change, there isn't Jesus. You will not find somebody that has met Jesus and has been embraced by the love of Christ and his power who is not changed. Those, those two things cannot coexist. And knowledge about Jesus isn't enough. There must be change and there must be obedience. Even if, if somebody claims Christ, yet there is an obedience and change that that claim has no merit without what the scriptures frequently refer to as, as fruit within that life. When it, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to church, Christianity, our, our theology, there's different theological streams that kind of inform what we know about God and the Bible and, and Christian living, just like there is in philosophy or, or education. There's different kind of root sources for our, our understanding. And one of those, uh, in kind of theological terms, one of these theological streams is what we call a scholastic theological stream. And it's, it's very prevalent, I think, in, in Prescott, and there's a lot of good that comes from it. It's largely rooted in, in Thomas Aquinas, and basically, it's this idea that Jesus is king, but kind of secretly what happens underneath is that knowledge becomes king. And so the top priority is not walking in step with Christ, walking as he walked, obedience to him. It is knowledge about him. And so, in these situations, in these communities and, and contexts, our kids will go to a classroom, and what is prioritized is how much they know, how many verses they memorize, how many stories they're aware of, the information that they're able to obtain and hold. And then as we, we grow as adults, it's how many Bible studies and circles you sit in how much information you know about Jesus, which is very important because it says we should walk like him and we can't walk like him if we don't know how he walked. But knowing about Jesus should not be king. Jesus should be king. Amen. We can actually know a whole lot about Jesus without knowing Jesus. My, my son Ellis is at this, this really fun age now where he, he loves to watch basketball with me and we'll, we'll sit and we'll watch the, the Phoenix Suns in the living room and he'll be like, Dad, is Kevin Durant playing tonight? And I'll be like, I don't know, you tell me. And he goes, yeah, there's number 35, that's Kevin Durant, let's go! And I'm like, that's, that's him. He says lots of funny things like that. Like He likes to refer to his mom now as bruh Everything is, let's go, bruh. Like, what are you doing? This doesn't even make sense, man. But we'll watch a, a, a basketball game. We'll watch the Suns, and he's, he's aware of who Kevin Durant is. He can see him running on the court and know that's Kevin Durant. If you asked him, he would probably say, like, if you're like, hey, Ellis, do you know Kevin Durant? He'd be like, of course I know Kevin Durant. I'm like, are you crazy? But although he knows his number and he knows what he looks like, he's even heard him in interviews, probably knows some stats. Though he's even been in the same room as Kevin Durant, he doesn't actually know him. And it's the same often with people in Jesus. We can 
be around a lot of people that know Jesus and walk with Jesus. We can spend a lot of time in places like this where Jesus is a priority. We can quote him and read about him and study him and yet still not know him. Jesus leads to change. If there's no change, there's simply put no Jesus. Obedience and Jesus go hand in hand. As he's parting from his disciples and, and giving some, some parting instructions and, and what's called the Great Commission, he says, because I'm king, because I have all authority, go make disciples, more followers. And then he really gives two specific instructions. One is baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit, meaning kind of overwhelm them, drown them, cover them relationally in who God is as a triune God, as Father, Son, and Spirit. And then, it's really simple, teach them not to know everything I've said, not to know everything about me, not to have a great theology, but to obey all that I have commanded. That's the, the simple instruction Jesus gives. Obedience matters to Jesus. And, and here's a, a key point with that. We obey because of his love. Our obedience does not earn his love. I'm gonna say that again because it's, it's pretty important and it, we get real messed up if we mess up that line. We obey because of his love. Our obedience does not earn his love. As we'll read later in this letter of, of 1 John, John will write, we love because he first loved us. And then Paul kind of adds to that in his own letters and epistles saying, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to become obedient. He didn't wait for us to get it together to then come to him. And he's like, now I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Now, while we were a mess, before we earned anything, that is when he offered his greatest love. Another way to, to think about that is that change doesn't lead you to Christ. Christ leads you to change. And if you're working to have changed so that you can get to Christ, you will never get there. Yeah. It's when we accept our need for Christ that he will bring change in our lives. Like I said earlier, another way the scriptures portray this image is with trees and, and fruits. And for Christians, there will be good fruit, good results, healthy life, not perfect. We still live in the midst of brokenness. We're still going to sin but over the pattern of time, not weeks and days, but months that turn into years, that turn into decades like we've been talking about, there will be good change. And if there's not, that means there isn't Jesus. Mm. I uh, decided to rewrite verses three through six in this really great way about apples and trees. It's really profound. I'm gonna read it to you. This is how we can know an apple tree is an apple tree. It will have apples. The tree labeled an apple tree that has bad fruit, but that never has apples is not an apple tree. The label is wrong. But every tree that actually has apples is a real apple tree. Once an apple tree, always an apple tree. That's how simply John is writing this. If you claim to have Jesus and be in relationship, there will be change in obedience. And if there is no change in obedience, there is no Christ. And so it just begs a really simple question. Do you see that change for good in your life? Not because of your own work and your own effort. Are you walking in the light? Are the results there? Not the perfection, but the progress over time. As we've been saying, is sin diminishing? And is Christ growing? 
Do you walk how he walked? On to verses seven and eight. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What is this command? The best summary of the command I can think of is is love. That's what he's talking about. But the, the best kind of overarching way to really grasp what love is because we live in a culture that doesn't understand it. What does the love of Christ look like is this. It's dying to self frequently and making a habit of washing feet. This is how Jesus loved. He chose the good of others before his own good and he humbly served habitually. Dying to self means choosing the good of another in place of choosing your own good. Oftentimes you can't have both. Dying to self means considering and, and contemplating the good of another more than you consider and contemplate your own good. And at the end of the day, we sit and we contemplate our own good a lot. We're good about thinking, what is good for me? What do I want? What do I not want? Andrew, let us, and part of that prayer, thinking through this. Dying to self is praying for others more than you pray for yourself. (laughs) Washing feet is simple. It's serving. Jesus served his followers, his friends. He also served people and washed the feet of people that would harm him. Mm. Are you loving? Are you dying to self? Are you washing feet? Mm. This is the type of change that just happens when Jesus is in our lives. Not perfection, but progress. Over time, the goodness of Christ will well up within those who have Christ in their lives. So then there's this confusing language John puts in. He's like, this is not a new command I, I give you. It's an old one. You're like, okay. And then in the next sentence, he's like, but it's, it's a new command. Like, what, does, what does that mean? This past <coughs> summer, spring, summer, my mom was at my, my house and we were walking around in the, the front yard and she looked at this tree and she's like, is this a new tree? And I said, no, it's been here since we, we moved in. It just looks very different because for the first time ever, I pruned it like crazy and cut it way down and now it was hot and there was rain and it was growing and it actually looked like a tree instead of like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. It had some life to it. And it wasn't new, it was old, but it was so different. It was growing in in such a a vibrant way that it looked new. There was a newness to it. In the same way, this command to love, Jesus expressed from the beginning. Yahweh God did from the beginning in Exodus and the foundation of the scriptures. But it was new because there was a new life. There was a new sustenance. There was a new means of growth. It was no longer people by their own desire or effort attempting to love others because we're not actually good at that on our own. It was the power of the Spirit and union with Christ and followers of Jesus guiding them to love those around them. And that was entirely different. It was a new season, a new way. Winter, spiritually speaking, was over. At this point, Jesus had died, and Jesus had went into the grave, and Jesus had risen. And so as John writes here, darkness 
was passing away and the true light was already shining. Notice it doesn't say darkness had passed away and all that there was was light and it was full. It was this in between, this now and not yet. But darkness was passing away. The movement was beginning. The seasons were changing. So Jesus had conquered sin and and death and Satan. He was now a part, a fabric of the being of his followers, which changes how we can love. It doesn't change the command, but it does change the success rate, the quality even of our love. It says that his love is perfected in those, meaning their understanding of his love for them, their love for Christ himself, and then their love for everyone around them. This love grows and expands. Jesus brings change. Let's continue to to verse 9. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. A person can be blinded and think they have Christ and not have Christ. A person can have the appearance of knowing Jesus but not actually know him. If I were to glue a bunch of apples onto a pine tree, would that make that pine tree an apple tree? No. Similarly, if you put a a bunch of good deeds and a lot of knowledge, a little bit of giving on somebody's life, does that make them a Christian? Does that make them a follower of Jesus? No. It might have the appearance of it for a while, Those apples that are glued ridiculously onto a pine tree, they might be like red and robust and look vibrant and healthy for a short time. They might confuse some people. But eventually, because they're not connected to the source of life, they're not connected to the vine, they will rot and fall off. And it's the same with people that proclaim Christ but don't have Christ. That's why John's test works. There's either change and Jesus there's no change and no Jesus. Let me close sharing a, a little bit uh, with you about one of, our, <clears throat> one of our elders, Ben. Ben is a sinner. <laughs> ben is messed up in a lot of ways. He has sinned against his wife, sinned against his son and his daughter, I'm sure he's sinned against his friends and he's sinned against his parents. Ben has probably sinned against me. But I told him right before the last service when he's there, it's like, hey, I'm going to talk about you a little bit today. It's going to sound really bad at first, but just hang in there with me. But Ben knows Jesus and loves Jesus and is known and loved by Jesus. And it's incredibly evident. And there's three significant ways I know this. Number one, Ben confesses his sin. He knows he's not perfect. He confesses it to people and to God. I will never forget one Sunday many years ago, I was, I was teaching and then I was done and he just like walked up right over there and he's like, hey, can I say something? And I was like, ah, this has never happened before, but sure, I trust you. 
I gave him the mic, and he just started to confess sin. Nothing crazy, but how he treated his kids, his wife, how he handled his business, just all of the stuff of life. He had an awareness, and he knew that to have Christ is to confess sin and let Christ lead change, not to try to change yourself. Second way I know that Christ is alive and well within Ben is because Ben says who Jesus is. He professes his name, the name of Jesus, and the name of Jesus alone. The, the third way I know this about Ben is that he obeys Jesus' teaching, and you see it clearly in his life. I've seen Ben give hours and hours away on his days off to help a kid who doesn't have a dad in the picture. It's a really, a really challenging kid. I've seen Ben give thoughtful gifts and practice generosity. One night, a, a bunch of years ago, I was at my mother-in-law's house, and she had this leak behind her refrigerator and the connection, and so I was trying to, to fix it, but it had been there for like 20 years. Couldn't even get the refrigerator out. So I called Ben, because he lived nearby, and it was late, some winter night, and he didn't even think twice. He's like, yeah, I'll be right there. He was there within 10 minutes, and we worked on this, this thing together, and eventually we got the refrigerator out, and then we had to, to shut the water off, and so we're out in my, my mother-in-law's front yard, and we're, we're digging there in the ground to try to find the valve and get it shut off, and we're having trouble, and this is an image that is burned into my mind that I wish could be erased, but I'm there with the light, and, and Ben is crouched down on the ground and it was like January. It's terribly cold. And Ben is wearing the brightest orange and one basketball shorts from like 1998. Like it was, it was very bad. And they were too tight, much too tight. And that's not the worst part. He paired it with none other than cowboy boots. Welcome to Prescott. And so they're Ben is in this outfit, humbly serving. Finally, we get the, the water off, and, and we get it fixed. And it was, it was just incredible. That's who Ben was, even though he wears those kinds of outfits. I have a picture, but I'm not going to show it. He was a little afraid that that was going to make it into the slides. He left his warm house, apparently in his comfy clothes. <laughs> To come, and, to come and help. I've seen, I've seen Ben pay somebody's mortgage for a month. I've seen him pray lovingly for people he knows well and cares for. I've seen him pray for people he barely knows. I've seen him sacrifice his time to help me think through things. I've heard him tell a lot of dad jokes, which actually isn't relevant. That's more of my sacrifice and foot washing for listening. <laughs> Jake knows I've heard Ben encourage people and listen. I've watched him in moments courageously say, we should be bold in this moment. And I've watched him wisely say, we should be patient now. Ben has not only obeyed Jesus' teaching, he's not only been loved by Jesus and loved Jesus, but he loves those around him well. Now, is he perfect? No. He wears basketball shorts and cowboy boots. That's a problem. He sins like you and like me. He steps in the darkness, but he walks in the light. To put it a, a different way, back to, to fruits, Ben is an apple tree that has apples. 
the, the life of Christ, the love of Christ, the graciousness, the mercy, the wisdom of Christ is alive and well within Ben. And so again, what John is doing here is posing a question, how about you? What does the story of your life say? What do the people in your life say? Is there change over time? Because where there is Jesus, there is change. It's the change and the obedience evident. We have to be careful with this, too. All this talk of obedience and fruits is 100% real. I mean, it's not just in 1 John. The scriptures are filled with this call for us to live a certain way because it's good for us, because it's good for those around us. But there is this, this trap, sometimes we refer to it as, as legalism. Really what happens is we get trapped into this idea of making our good deeds and our faithfulness and our responsibility the Savior instead of leaving Jesus as the Savior. We mix up the order. Instead of going to Christ for change, we try to make change before we go to Christ. So how do we avoid this trap of legalism yet still obey the, the good plan, the good vision that Jesus has for us. And I'll close with this slide. Three steps. Identify, confess, and then request. We identify, so is there change in your life? That's what we've been talking about. Are you walking in the light or in darkness? Do you actually walk with Jesus and know the steps he takes and follow those steps? And there's kind of two ways you process this, this identify step. First and foremost, like, do you have Christ in your life, period, at all? But then secondly, we're going to go through seasons as followers of Jesus. There's seasons in, in my life, there's seasons in Ben's life where we might develop a new habit where we are stepping in the darkness more frequently. We need to gain quicker awareness of that and step back into the light and walk in the light. Second step is to confess. Don't trust yourself to, to fix your sin. Trust Jesus with your sin and then make a habit of confession because we are not trustworthy with our own sin. You can try and try and try, but you can't do anything about it on your own. Then lastly, request. Jesus brings change. And so we ask, when we ask, and we ask him to bring good into our lives, change, healing, guidance, wisdom. And we ask him to teach us to love, to let his love overwhelm us and then pour out as the overflow. It will happen. So we identify, we confess, we request, and we let Christ be king and remain as king. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for the good God that you are. Thank you that we can come to you always and in all moments and that you're trustworthy. And give us continued awareness of the moments that we, we step in darkness or if we're habitually walking in darkness, let us know and free us from that. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to confess our sin. Help us to love because we've known your love. We look to you. May you lead us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to our teaching of the week. We are so grateful to partner with you in sharing the love of Jesus in a world that really deeply longs for it. And whether you're new here, 
seeking more information, looking for a church community, or considering financial partnership, go ahead and visit restorationaz.org for more details. Okay, let's continue making a difference together. So how do we do that? By remembering Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.